0: Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at the first three verses. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Father in heaven, we ask you to help us, Lord, to, to love each other well. Father, we know that there's going to be conflicts. Uh, we know there'll be conflicts in our family. God, we know there'll be conflicts in marriage. We know there'll be conflicts in our church. And Father, we, we want to handle them as Jesus would. We, we want to agree in the Lord. God, show us what that means today. What does it mean to agree in the Lord? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us to have the mind of Christ as we deal with conflict in our lives. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you have been with us the last couple months, three or four months, uh, you may seem, this, this passage may seem strange to you. Uh, It may seem strange because we just came out of chapter 3. In chapter 3, there are some of the greatest doctrinal passages in the Bible, okay? Paul kind of lays out the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus. He talks about the surpassing value and glory of Jesus Christ. And in verse 10 that we hammered on for three weeks, he talks about the the, the vision of the Christian life, which is to know Jesus more and to tap into his power and to share his life and and to become like him in his death. And then we open up chapter 4 and what do we find? we find a couple gals who can't get along, you know? I mean, we open up chapter four and we just came from all these doctrinal great things. And in chapter four, we open up, we got hair pulling, you know? I mean, you might think, what is going on here? And what's going on here is we're, we are learning, very practical thing, we are learning that we need to take the truths of the word of God and we apply them into everyday nuts and bolts situations of our life, okay? That's exactly what Paul is doing here. And the, the situation that he's talking about is, is conflicts in the church. Now, when I say conflicts in the church, maybe you're new to Christianity. Some of you may not have been a Christian very long. Maybe maybe you just started reading your Bible. Maybe you just got into church and you're probably thinking in your head, hold on, pastor. Here's what I know about being a Christian. I know that when you become a Christian, you get joined to Jesus, right? And when you become a Christian, you get indwelt with the spirit of God. And when you become a Christian, you're under the lordship of Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love God, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength to love each other as as ourselves, the fruit of the Spirit, when you have the Holy Spirit, the fruit that's going to be happening in your life is things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And and so you might be thinking, whoa, wait on, wait, wait, wait. When you become a Christian, I'm not going to have any more conflicts, right? I mean, that's what we might think. You know, I'm not going to have any more. It's all going to be love and peace and harmony and I'm never going to have a fight with my wife again and I'm always, you know, I'm going to go to church and everybody's always going to be perfectly nice and wonderful and happy and, and I hate to tell, you, but the Bible does not lift up that picture of Christianity. There's a couple big problems with that. Um, well, we'll get to that in a second. But then, you know, the, the, the next thing that I might think about, just thinking about this, is I might think, well, okay, maybe these ladies aren't real Christians. Now, sometimes we, we go that route, don't we? We, you know, that person that's, that's hateful and ugly, well, maybe they're just not a real Christian, I mean, that makes sense because Jesus told us there'd be tears in the wheat, right? Jesus told us there'd be people that would profess to know Christ, but they really wouldn't know him. You know, I mean, that, that's a true doctrine of the church that not everybody says, I love Jesus. Not everybody who says that's really a Christian. And, and so we might look at these two ladies and say, yeah they're going to hell, you know? I mean, they're, they're, they're the two that aren't the real deal in, in the Bible, okay? But Paul Paul hinders us from doing that because look what he does. In verse three, he says, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He, he lumps everybody in that verse into these folks' names are in the book of life. Now, you're asking, what is the book of life? Well, the book of life, God has a book in which all true believers have their name. In fact, in Revelation 21, verse 27, he talks about heaven and it says, nothing un unclean will ever enter it. Nothing unclean is ever going to be in heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so there is a book, okay? But here's the deal. Verse two, Paul includes these two ladies in the the book of life, okay? He includes them as genuine believers. Not only does he include them as genuine believers, but he also says these ladies are mature believers in the sense that they're serving, they're workers, okay? Notice how he describes them. Verse 3, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who labored side by side with me in the gospel. Now, if you remember how the gospel came to to the city of Philippi, man, Paul got beat up and thrown in prison when he first preached the gospel in Philippi. And you've got two ladies here who have, have a track record of serving Jesus with Paul. Okay? These are servants. These ladies taught in Team Kid and Sunday School and VBS and went to Falls Creek and worked in the kitchen and led a small group I mean these two ladies are not just you know believers that are on the fringe they're actually workers and servants in the church and so what we come to see if you'll notice your outline think in your outline the first first point is you know who has conflict what we see is that everybody has conflict in their lives and even in the church even mature believers we all we all have feelings. You know what? God doesn't take away your feelings when you become a Christian. Okay? You still get hurt, don't you? You still get hurt feelings. And not only that, but 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 becoming a Christian means you're becoming more and more like Jesus, but you're not perfect, right? And so because you're not perfect, that still means you struggle with pride. And it still means you struggle with selfishness. And it still means you struggle with being self-centered. And it still means you struggle with, with your tongue and with saying things you shouldn't. And all of that means that we're going to have conflict in the church. Everybody has that. One of my favorite passages that kind of shows the personal life of the Apostle Paul is in Second Timothy. We use this actually a lot in small groups, just, just talking about the difficulty of relationships. And in Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul gives this personal testimony about his own life. And in verse 16, he says that my first defense, so Paul, Paul was being tried. He was being tried when he was innocent. He, he, he was being tried unjustly before a Roman court. And he says in verse 16 that my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Does it sound like Paul got his feelings hurt there? It does to me, doesn't it? Why bring that up? Why bring up that nobody came for him? Why bring up that everybody deserted him? You know why? Because that hurt. You know, when when Paul stood up, when, when the judge said or when, when, when Nero said, hey, would the defendant st- please rise? And Paul stood up and looked around the courtroom. Not one person was there to support him. And that hurt. Now, now notice how Paul deals with that, though. You know, in this passage, he says, but, you know, God, please don't hold it against them. You know, the Lord strengthened me. The Lord took care of me. You know, he basically the whole end of first, 2 Timothy He's saying, I want to see you guys. I want to build a relationship with you guys. And so Paul handled conflict right. But what I want you to see is there's conflict in the church. If you're a Christian, please don't think that that removes you from having difficult relationships. It does not. You're still going to have those in your life. You're still going to have struggles in relationships and struggles with people. But hopefully you're going to handle them in a much different way. Way than you did before. Now, my next question what kind of conflict is this? Okay? Now, what I want you to see is this is not a doctrinal conflict, okay? So this is not that Euodia believes in the Trinity. She believes that God is three and both one. And Syntyche, she doesn't believe that. She believes that God is just three, and there's three gods, okay? Alright, it's not that sort of deal. It's, it has nothing to do with biblical truth. You know how I know that? Because if it did, Paul would have straightened it out right here, okay? He does that every in all of his letters, he is constantly straightening out doctrinal issues. He's saying, don't believe this, this is wrong, this is right. You know, some people say this, that's wrong. I mean, he, he constantly does that, and so if it were a doctrinal issue, Paul would have just settled it right here. It's not a doctrinal issue. You know what kind of issue it is? I don't either. But it's some kind of personal issue, right? I mean, we just don't know. It, it could have been, they just see things differently. It could have been a power issue, you know. I mean, maybe Euodia was the drummer for the church. And then Sintiki came to the church. And she used to drum with Duran Duran before she got saved. And so everybody wanted her. And then Euodia, her feelings get hurt, you know, because she's not the drummer anymore. Or, you know, maybe they both worked in the kitchen. And, you know, one of them wanted to make meatloaf for the funeral. And one of them wanted to make her fried chicken. And, you know, one of them said, your fried chicken stinks, you know, in a careless moment. And, man, it was all, you know, is it hair pulling, you know, it's terrible. You know, maybe maybe it was just a, a matter of indifference. Maybe they were in the same small group, and one of them had had an illness or something, and the other one didn't care for them at all. They didn't even check on them. Maybe it was just inadvertent. Maybe they just got busy. Maybe they didn't even just mean to. Well, It could have been anything. Do you, you see what I'm saying? It could have literally been anything. We don't know. It's good that we don't know because we're just going to apply it across the board to any conflict you have in your marriage, in your family, in, in your parenting, in, in your in your in your church, in your small group, in your Sunday school class, in your Bible study. It, with other Christians, with your community, any conflict at all would apply in this setting, okay? Now, point number two, what should our reaction? We, we know there's going to be conflicts in our life. We know we're going to have conflicts as Christians. So what should our reaction to those conflicts be? First of all, let me tell you what they should not be. Okay? What they should not be is we should not write off people that we have conflicts with. And we, we shouldn't write off the church. You know what some people do? Some people come to church and they're getting fed and they're growing as a Christian and then they have a conflict and it's so like shocks them that they're like, man, I'm out on this. I'm out on the church. And we have a whole bunch of people that that's almost the trend today. In fact, the predominant view of, of, of people 18 to 25 is they, they, they're okay with Jesus, but they're out on the Church. I I have a problem with that. Uh, I want to reverse that because it's not a biblical truth. You can't be in on Jesus and out on his people. You just can't be that. The Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ, okay? And and you can't say, hey, man, I want to hang out with you, you know, but man, don't bring your wife. Keep her out of here. I can't stand her, you know? That doesn't work in any relationship and it will not work with Jesus. And so our response, first of all, when we get hurt, when someone hurts our feelings, when we have a conflict in the church, our first response should not be to ride off the church. In fact, notice how Paul talks about the church. This is beautiful. Look in verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, what's he saying? You're my family, okay? My brothers whom I love, okay? What's he saying? Man, I love you guys. I care for you. I have affection for you. And long for. What does long for mean? Man, I, I miss you. I, man, I love getting together with you. We got to get together. We got to meet up. Man, I, I I miss it when we're away from one another. My brothers whom I love and who I long for. And notice what he says here. My joy and crown. What does that mean? I am proud of you guys. Man, when you do well, man, it blesses me. I, it's like a medal around my neck. Woodward won the football game Friday night. I don't know if you knew that, but in our first service, we got a couple football moms in there, Nancy and Dana. And when I, when I gave this illustration, they both straightened up. You know, it was like I put a medal on them, you know. They're boys. They're boys won, you know. I mean, we know how that is. We know how it is to be proud, right? A lot of, a lot of you guys at the concert, you know, Bob, Bobby Julia sang. Bobby sang a couple girls from our church. You're like, man, they're so good. You know, hey, you're my, okay, Paul is saying, I feel that way about my church, Paul didn't even go to Philippi, by the way. I feel that way about the people of God. Man, I I love them. I long for them. They're my joy. They're my crown. He says, stand firm, thus in the Lord. The last thing he says in verse one, my beloved, he calls them affectionate names. And here's what I want to tell you, folks. We need to love the church. We need to and by that I don't mean the building, I don't mean the campus, I don't mean the parking lot, I don't mean the organ, I don't mean I don't mean any of that. I mean we need to love the people of God. So much so that we will fiercely protect God's people from each other. Okay? A lot of times we say, Well, I'll fiercely protect them, you know, if the government or No, I'm talking about we need to fiercely protect the unity of God's people. So much so Paul's proactive here. Paul is proactive. Notice, notice he begs these ladies. Do you see this in verse 2? I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. The word entreat means to plead. It means to beg. It's actually a word that means to call to one side. You know, it's almost like when you say to somebody, hey, come here, come here, sit down. Sit down here beside me. i got to talk to you. That that, that's what that word means. It means to bring to one side and and to appeal to a request. Okay, Paul is saying, "Man, I beg you guys. I plead with you. Would you would you would you please agree in the Lord? Would you please get right in your relationship?" You know, there's not very many times I beg. No, but you guys do a lot of begging. You know, I don't beg very much. I started thinking, are there any times that I beg? You know, and there is. Actually, I started thinking this happens every week. It happened this last week there are times where I beg people when I'm doing marriage counseling with them not to destroy this thing. That happened to me this week. I had a couple in my office. I brought the lady in. This thing's about to blow apart. I mean, I can see it. It's, all, it's, all, it's like watching a wreck. You ever watched a wreck before? Like you couldn't do anything about it, but you watch two cars collide? You know, the whole time you're like, no, 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 you know. I mean, that's what it's like. And, and I brought the lady in. I said, please, man, please. You know, I know this happened, but man, would you just would you just trust Jesus in this? Would you just, you know, for your kids, for the glory of the Lord? You know, you, brought the guy in. Please, come on. And, and I, I found myself. I thought that's what I'm doing. That, that's what Paul's doing here. <clears throat> he sees the devastation that will occur when two people who are believers will not get right in their relationship, and he pleads with them to agree in the Lord. You know, our reaction. To conflict in the church should, ref, should reflect our identity. Number one, we, we should remember who are we, by the way? Well, our, our names are in the book of life. What does that mean? What, what kind of privilege is that, man? Your name's in the book. How did your name get there? It wasn't because you're just awesome, okay. In fact, your name—if you, okay—if your name's in the book because you're awesome, it's not the book of life, all right. Um, th- th- that's a, that's the one in hell, okay. Uh, your name's in the book of life because Jesus showed you grace because he 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 sought you, he bought you, he shed his blood for you, he died on the cross for you, he loves you. The Spirit of God drew you. You're there because of Christ's mercy on your life. And if you are a Christian, listen to this very closely. If you are a Christian, you also have a mission. A lot of people just don't embrace that. If you're a Christian, you have a mission. There are no Christians who do not have a mission, okay? There are no Christians that God God saves them and he says, hey, I saved you. I bought you. I died for you. I drew you to myself. But listen, I don't want anything. I just want you to sit tight until heaven, okay? I know there's other people out advancing the church and pulling the load, but I don't want you to do it. God never does that. If you're a Christian, you've got a mission. And listen, your mission is to take the gospel to the world. Your mission is to live out the gospel. Your mission is to become like Jesus Christ. Your mission is to be a visible representation on this earth of what Jesus Christ does in a life. And listen, people on a mission don't have the luxury of petty conflicts. Dave Biffle was in war. I know David's been to war. David, I just can't imagine a group of soldiers in a trench, bullets flying over their head. And I just can't imagine those group of soldiers fighting over who gets the pears tonight at supper. You know, I mean, I just can't imagine that. I bet that never happened, Right. Man, I bet when you're, when you're in a battle, when you've got a mission, I bet the little petty stuff just goes away, doesn't it? The size of the mission, how, how big the mission is, should affect the relentlessness with which you put aside anything that would harm the success of the mission. Let, let, let's, let's explore that. So what I'm saying is, the bigger the mission the more willing you're willing to put aside anything that hurts the mission. Okay, so let's, let's pick a small mission. Okay, how about your spouse said, hey, would you go get some chocolate syrup for our ice cream tonight? Anybody else have ice cream at night? That's a great uh, that's a great American tradition. Okay, and, and some people like to have chocolate on it. And so you've been given a mission. Hey, would you go get the ice cream? Now, listen, it's not a very big mission. And because of that, there's there's lots of stuff that would deter you from completing the mission, right? I mean, if if you go outside and you got a flat tire on the car, hey, honey, flat tire. It's dark out. I'll change it in the morning. No chocolate. Let's have our ice cream plane tonight, right? I mean, right? I mean, that's what I'd do, you know. In fact, it would even go even further, you know. If I just didn't feel very good, I'd be like, you know, I just don't want to get out, you know. I mean, if if there's a new episode of Little House on the Prairie, my kids watch that all the time, and and I've never seen that one, you know, and I get into it. What's that going to happen to Laura and Mary, you know? Hey, we may just forget the chocolate syrup. We can do without it, you know, just more calories anyway. I mean, I don't want to be any fatter than I am. I mean, hey, it's okay. There would be all kinds of stuff that would deter the mission. It would be just fine. What if you had a bigger mission, though? What if I always wonder who these people are, by the way, but they got to be somebody. What if you're the guy that carries the kidney? From the donor to the hospital where the transplant patient is waiting on the table to save his life. What if you're that guy? What if you got it in the ice chest? I assume they carry it in an ice chest, you know. What if, what if, in your you got you know, you open your door and you got the ice chest from wherever you came from, and it's a little cool outside. What do, do you go? You know, I'm just gonna wait. You know, I didn't bring my gloves. You know, or or, or what if, what if a Little House on the Prairie is playing on the TV? You know, I assume you got it at a hospital. You know, TVs everywhere in waiting rooms, and you walk by. And you go, I haven't seen this episode. What what's Charles gonna do? You know, and, would you sit down? You know, I mean, would what if you got a flat tire? Would you be like, well. I don't know any other way around this you know I just can't go let me tell you if you would let those things deter that mission you're actually kind of a jerk actually you know I mean you really are somebody's lying on the table and needs a kidney and and you get deterred that easily so here's my question where does our mission lie in 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 that is it chocolate syrup is that where it's at I mean, because if that's all the more important displaying Jesus Christ to the world is, if that's all the more important our church's mission is, you know, us being a fellowship of people who love each other and live out the gospel, if that's no more important than whether we have chocolate syrup on our ice cream or not, then this is all not a big deal, okay? I mean, it just really isn't. But what I'm here to tell you is I really believe it's more important for people not to go to hell than it is for them to have a kidney. Now, I'm all for kidneys, okay? I, want, I like mine. I don't want to lose it, all right? But listen, listen, the mission that you've been given is critical. You got to live Jesus out in front of your kids, in front of your family, in front of your spouse, in front of the world. We are the church. We are the people of God. And we will compromise the mission if we do not resolve our conflicts. Let's look at number three. What's the result of conflict in the church? Well, first of all, I want to say that this is a big deal. And one of the reasons we know this is a big deal is for Paul to call these people out by name. Bonnie, you've been here with me. You've been here longer than I have, but you've been here with me 17 years. How many times have I called people out by name to rebuke them for a conflict? I don't remember any. Can you imagine if I did. What, what if I what if I came in and said, Fred and Shelby, listen. You guys, this conflict, this 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 petty disagreement between the two of you, it is killing your small group. It is killing this church. You guys, Fred and Shelby, you need to get it. You need to get it resolved. You know what everybody do? <gasps> and then there'd be a bunch of whispering wouldn't there. Every bunch of whispering, you know saw them the other day they were arguing in the fore I think i I know what happened. I think Karen and and Sue are at odds too you know I saw the way they looked at each other and you know I mean there'd be all that wouldn't there I mean that, I mean there'd be all kinds of nastiness right I mean it's a pretty big deal for Paul. To, to mention the, can you imagine when Paul's letters were always read publicly, by the way? If you didn't know that, he, he it says that in several of the letters, please read this publicly. You know, they would read this to the church. Can you imagine Euodia and Syntiki sitting in the church, you know? And chapter one goes by, you know, talking about Paul to live as Christ, to die as gain. Euodia, amen. You know, chapter two goes by, have the mind of Christ among yourselves. And Syntiki's like, that's right, brother. You know, chapter three goes by, you know, let's pursue Christ and know him. And they both, amen man. Chapter four, I entreat you. Oh, man, he called me out. You know, he knows. Uh, uh, I mean, can you imagine the, the silence in the room after that? How would you like to be the guy reading that? Huh? Would you, you know, you'd maybe leave that out. This is a big deal. That, that, that's what I want to show you. This is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? A couple reasons. Number one, your conflicts with other believers affect your relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. Don't think it does not. Don't think you're an exception to that. Your inability to reconcile with those whom you're at odds with affects your relationship with Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us in verse 23, he says, If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Jesus says if you're, and he's talking about the Old Testament worship, if you're at the temple, if you you just spent four days walking across Israel with your animal and now you've got to the temple and you've gone through all the gates and you're at the sacrificial place and the priest has taken the animal and put him on the altar and he's got one hand on his head and one hand on you, symbolic of, of your sins being taken away by blood. And there, right there, you remember that you're at odds with your brother. You stop him stop him? But I'm worshiping. Jesus says, no, 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 you stop. And you get up and you go make things right. And then come back and offer your gift. Why? Well, if you've lived the Christian life very long, you know, don't you? It's hard to genuinely worship Jesus when you're at odds with somebody and you know you shouldn't be. I cannot pray with my wife when I'm angry with her. It creates quite a dilemma in my marriage because we've committed to pray together. And so there's a lot of times where Emma knows I'm the spiritual leader of the family. And she uses that against me. Because she knows that I, I know that I'm supposed to pray. but I I, I can't do it. I can't, I can't come and say, Father in heaven, we love you. Father, I, I pray for our family. I can't do it when I, I just can't. It's, I feel like a hypocrite. So you know what happens? I got to get right. I got I to say, I'm sorry. I got to deal with it. I got I to gotta say, honey, let's work this out. First John four twenty. If anyone says I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. He doesn't love God. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now that passage is not talking about you got angry today. It's talking about you you're, you're you. have fostered and cultivated a spirit of hatred in your heart toward your brother that you're not fixing. You can't love God in that situation. Our conflicts affect others, don't they? Man, nobody lives on an island. There, there are no isolated conflicts, okay? we got, we got a lot of in, in this service who have children, a lot of people that have grown children. Let me ask you folks who have grown children. If When your children are at odds with one another, does that bother you? Tears you up, doesn't it? Tears you up. People in your family are at odds with one another. Tears you up. Brings anxiety, actually. Isn't it interesting that down here in a couple of verses, a couple of weeks we're going to deal with this. There's a great one of the best passages in the Bible on anxiety, but not being anxious. I think that's tied together. Friends, our, our, our ministry to the world will be affected by how we love one another. Jesus said this, John thirteen thirty four and 35, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all people know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Listen, the devil's got a plan for your anger, okay? Devil, he's, he's got a plan for your anger. He he, he has a, a scheme. Let, let, me, let me let me clue you into that. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, okay? Here we go. Be angry and do not sin, okay? So we're all going to get angry. That's going to happen. But don't sin in your anger, okay? How, how do we not sin in our anger? Let me keep reading. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, okay? The sun's going down in about, what, seven and a half, eight, eight hours today? All right, so if you're angry with your brother now, if you're going to obey the Bible... That's how long you got to get things right. Okay, that's how long you got to make an attempt in your own heart to make things right. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Why? Why, Paul? Why not? Why can't I leave it till tomorrow? Why can't I leave it till next week? Why, why does it have to be today? Verse 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. All right. He will use your anger to hurt you, to hurt your family. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Verse six, Paul's telling the Corinthian church, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Stop punishing is what he's saying. Verse seven, you should rather forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Verse 8, I beg you. Here's Paul again begging, begging Christians to, 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 to reaffirm their love, to forgive. He says, I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Verse 11, Why? So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. We're not ignorant of his designs. Paul says we're not dumb. We understand the devil will use our anger to hurt us. And so when you don't deal with it, you open up your life and the life of this church. For the devil to hurt us. So what do we need to do? Verse two, I entreat Eudokia and I entreat Centicky to agree in the Lord. This is point four, I think. What does it mean to agree in the Lord? What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you got to pick sides. Okay, so in any conflict, there's two perspectives, right? So let's say Eudokia felt like we needed orange carpet in the in the church, and Sentiki felt like we needed red carpet in the church. They were OU OSU fans, and they just got into this big blowout about it, you know. And what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean they've got to agree on the carpet color. They got to agree that orange is better, or that red is better. Or go. K-State purple. It doesn't mean they got, they've got to agree on it. That's not what he's saying. Agree in the Lord means agree in your connection to Christ. Your position in Jesus, in the Lord, is being in Christ, being joined to Christ, being connected to Christ, so it is to have the mindset that comes from your connection to Jesus Christ. Let me give you a whole bunch of verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Look at how these work out. Verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree what does that mean to agree? That all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you. But that you be united by the same mind. It means that you don't be in divisions, you don't be divided. You don't be divided in your care for one another. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Well, what does that mean to have unity of mind? Let's keep reading. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Be have have a humble mind. Have the mind of Jesus, okay? First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. Okay, That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. What does it mean to have no division in the body? It means we have the same care. We care for each other. We we love on each other. We're we're, we're not holding each other at a a distance. Philippians chapter 2. Do you remember when we came through this passage? In verse 2, it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Well, what does that mean? Well, keep reading. Have the same love for one another. Be in full accord. Be in one mind. Don't do anything out of rivalry or conceit, but in humanity humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Verse four, look out for each other's interests, not your own. Verse 5, have the mind of Christ, which is the mind of humility, okay? Do you see what Paul is saying here? To agree in the Lord means we have the mindset of Christ. We see things in our position with Jesus Christ. So let's let's, let's think about what we've learned in the last couple weeks, all right? In Philippians chapter 3, we learned very clearly from Paul. Paul said, when I look at my life now, I see that the biggest thing, the most important thing, is the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. That's in verse 8. The surpassing worth of Jesus. That's the most important thing. Jesus is better than anything. In verse 10, he said, how should I live my life? I should live my life with a passion for for one big thing, to know Jesus, to live his life, to tap into his power, to to share in his sufferings, to become like him more and more like Jesus. That's the passion of my life. Okay, So, so what it means for us to agree in the Lord is for us to agree, have the mindset of Christ on these big things in our life. All right. Now, I think we're going to have trouble applying this, so I want to do it right now in front of you. All right, Ms. Bonnie, would you stand up here for a second? Can I use you? All right, Ms. Bonnie and I are in a conflict, okay? Um, she was teaching in our team kid ministry and in our kindergarten class. My daughter, Haven, is five. She's a kindergartner, and Bonnie came out to me, and she said, Haven is a stinker. Would you say that, please? Haven is a stinker. Thank you. All right. I had Tony Haskins say in the 830 service, I, someone had to restrain my wife. She uh, interrupted the service, and so I'm glad she's not here. Okay, so Bonnie says Haven's a stinker. I say Haven is a sweetheart, Okay. So stinker, sweetheart, that's, that's that's the problem. I'm hurt because she told me my five-year-old is a stinker. I got hurt feelings, all right? Now, now, by the way, if this were two women doing this, all the same principles apply. But you just have to do it quicker because weapons and you have to protect vital organs. And it's just a bigger deal. It's not a chauvinist remark. It's just the truth, okay? When you get two mama bears, you're... you're man, okay. But fortunately, got, All right. So all right. So stinker, sweetheart, all right, we got... Here's what, here's what agreeing in the Lord does not mean. Agreeing in the Lord does not mean that we have to figure out who's right here. That's not what it means. In most conflicts, that's, that's really not the point. Agreeing in the Lord is, 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 is this, okay? Bonnie, do you agree that Jesus Christ is the best thing ever? And that he is the most important thing in this discussion? And that his glory trumps whatever thing you might feel or I might feel? See, we agree on that, okay? We agree on that. Do do we agree that that in that kindergarten classroom, really the biggest issue is Haven's soul? Do you agree with that? That we agree with that. We agree that Haven, understanding the gospel, the mission of gospel in Haven's life is of paramount importance. Bonnie, would you agree that that, that you and I need to be very careful how we handle this because our actions could hurt our church? Do you agree with that? Do you see how much we agree on? You know what we're doing? We're agreeing in the Lord. You see, we, we are positioned in Jesus Christ, and we are agreeing in the Lord. Now, we haven't settled whether she's a stinker or a sweetheart yet, but you know what? I think from this point, we can move on as, as brother and sister in the Christ, can't we? All right. And you have see, we'll see you in kindergarten on Tuesday, or on Wednesday night. Bonnie, just volunteered for Children's Church. In the Lord. What does it mean to be in the Lord, okay? What does, it mean to be, what does it mean to agree in the Lord? Here's a good way to handle this, all right? When I think of agreeing in the Lord, you know what I think of? Getting Jesus in the middle of things. Now, let me show you that scripturally because I know you all are just saying, he's just saying this stuff. It's not in the Bible. It is in the Bible, okay? In that same passage, 2 Corinthians 2, where Paul's talking to the church at Corinth to forgive this guy. If you'll notice in uh, verse 10, he says, anyone whom you forgive, I also have forgiven what I've forgiven. If I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake, in, do you see? In the presence of Christ. Why does he say in the presence of Christ? Paul says, whatever you do, you forgive this guy, you don't forgive him, you're doing it in the presence of Jesus. My brothers and I had conflict growing up. We settled it with words and fists. But listen, not one time not one time can I remember ever fighting with my brother in the presence of my dad. If my dad came in the room, the conflict was over for now. We did not fight in front of my dad. A couple reasons. We respected him. We respected him. We honored him. We loved him. Here's the big one. We did not trifle with my dad. I see kids that will trifle with their parents. I see that all the time. You know, they'll push them. They'll we just didn't do that with my dad. We did not do that with my dad. For one thing, my dad was a good man, but my dad was also a powder keg of wrath. That when you triggered it, you regretted it. Let me ask you. You're here today, you're in a conflict. You love Jesus? You honor Jesus? You respect Jesus, Well, maybe this is the big one. Do you trifle with him? Do you have the kind of attitude that, actually, I see Christians have this. I'll do what I want. You know, no one's going to, no one's going to talk to me that way. Whew. That's arrogant. To say that in front of Jesus I just don't think we should trifle with him. Verse 3. This gets real personal here. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. All right. We're being commanded here to help people who can't get along. Notice who's to help, though. This is important. He says, true companion. Now, there's this big debate, by the way, if you read commentaries and stuff. Um, is this a guy's name? The Greek is Sujos or something like that. And they're saying, is this an, I don't think it's a name because no, nowhere else in the Bible or actually Greek literature can anybody find a guy named this. I think Paul is, is referring to some of the leaders in the church, maybe one leader in the church, maybe the pastor. But he calls him this name. You know what the word means? It means fellow partner, fellow worker, or it could mean yoke fellow. I like yoke fellow. You ever seen two oxen yoked to this, you know, they're yoked together? You know what they're doing? They're pulling the load together. Now, man, that makes sense to me. Did you know that the church is a load that people got to pull? And we pull it by the power of the Holy Spirit, but somebody's got to pull, okay? Okay. Somebody's got to pull. I mean, taking the gospel, the word word is a load, okay? Raising up a church full of kids who know the gospel, who've been taught the glory of Jesus, that's a load. Man, staffing our nursery at 5th Street, that is a load. Paula knows that. Man, that's a load. I, I mean, having 150 kids, On Wednesday night, in our facilities, our two campuses, who we are responsible to evangelize and disciple, that's a load. Having 15 small groups when really we need 20 or 25 to build Christ in a relationship with a church of over 500, that's a load. Keeping four services and two campuses united and loving each other and caring for each other, well, that's a load. And I I just want to ask, are you pulling with us? Are you a yoke fellow? If you are, one of the things we need you to pull, one of the things we need you to carry, one of the things we need you to yoke up with us and pull is keeping this church united. Keeping these families loving each other well. A couple practical things, and then we're done. I know we're, we're late, but a lot to say. Couple of practical things. Number one, you need to realize when you're the right person or the wrong person to help. Okay? Let me tell you when you're the wrong person, okay? Couple things. You're the wrong person if you are emotionally charged in the situation, okay? So, you're the wrong person if when you know about a conflict and it really makes you mad cuz you really believe the one person is right and the one person is wrong and you go in there trying to settle the deal, you're you're just going to make it you're going to make it worse, okay? You got to get your own heart right. So, if you're emotionally charged in the situation, you're the wrong person. If you have no emotional capital with either person, you are the wrong person, okay? Uh, listen, this is a delicate situation. Jesus likened it to eye surgery. Remember that? Okay? And if you don't have emotional, if you've not invested in either one of these people, if you've not cared for them and loved them and ministered to them, you're probably not the right person to get in there and help resolve the conflict. Now, if you are the right person, let me give you a strategy. Here's my strategy. When 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 I go into these situations, my one strategy is I want I want to get Jesus right in the middle, okay? Because seldom is he in the middle in these things. Most of the time people don't want him anywhere close because they, they want to say what they want to say and they want to do what they want to do. Our strategy, we got to get Jesus there. we got to get him there. we got to get them both looking at Jesus. Because if they both love Jesus, that's, that's going to make all the difference. You know what I've found? I've found that if I can pray with people, if they'll let me pray and we'll pray together, a lot of times we come out of that prayer and the deal is different. Maybe it's not solved yet, but it's different. You know why? Because when you pray, you go, you go to Jesus, right? And it's hard for a believer to go to Jesus genuinely, to be in his presence, and come out a stinker, okay? I mean, get, get Jesus in the middle. Fourthly, thirdly, I think, be gentle and be humble, okay? Okay? Everywhere in the scripture where it talks about this issue, it says go gently and go humbly. Don't go in there arrogantly. Don't go in there like you have the answers. Go in there very carefully. Number four, ask lots of questions and choose your words carefully. Here's what I like to do. I like Whatever I'm going to say, I run through my mind first. And I, and I think about how will this be received by this person or this person. Proverbs says, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word aptly spoken in a good time. You've got to be careful. This 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 is not a time for going in with guns blazing. You're liable just to make it worse. Go in humbly. Go in gently. Be careful with your words. Friends, I've not mentioned any names today. Well, I talked about Fred and Shelby, but I had breakfast with them Friday, and they seemed fine. That's why I mentioned them, okay? Uh, hopefully, they didn't have some big blowout yesterday. And, you know, now they're like, man, Pastor called us out. Know, I, I think they're friends, so that's why I mentioned them. I didn't mention any names, but hold on. Look, look at me. Look at me. Did the Holy Spirit call your name? That's what I want to know. Did he call your name? you know what I mean by that? I mean, I, I can do a rotten job up here, and he, he can knock one out of the park. Because he's working in hearts. Did did he call your name? Yours. Did did you sense in your heart? I know I'm wrong with so and so. I know I got a broken relationship. I know I know I've been at odds for a year. I know I've been at odds for months. Okay, if he called your name, I want you to take that seriously. And I want you. To, I plead with you. I plead with you to agree in the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask you to help us, Father, to to protect the church. Help us, Lord, to protect our spiritual lives. Help us, God, to protect our families. Help us, Lord, to have the mind of Christ, to to agree in the Lord. And Father, I pray that great reconciliation and peace would come from, from the word from your scriptures today.